beautiful. Now, here we are, Easter Sunday. How many of you know what the mortality rate is for Chester County? Anybody know what the mortality rate is for Chester County? Most of us here are from Chester County. Not all of us, but most of us. What's the mortality rate? What was it? 100%. That's right. 100%. It's not rocket science. You live long enough, you're going to die, right? So that being the case, the whole thing about Resurrection Sunday is you don't stay in death, but you move to life. But the only way to do that is through Jesus Christ. So in preparing for this message, and I was discussing with Sheila, and some of the comments I was making, she said, you know, that reminds me kind of of that video we did several years ago with some of the guys. And I had uh, Chris and him to get it for me, looked at it. (laughs) Some of the old actors are moaning. I thought, that's right. And so I'm giving you an introduction to a video that was done about nine years ago. So as you look at our actors, they've aged a tad since then. Not too bad. They're mostly looking good. But I want you to be able to push that to the side and listen to the words of this video, please. Can you bring the lights down as well? Thank you. It was a different kind of Passover meal, to say the least. I remember when I walked in and sat down, Philip leaned over to me and whispered, Hey, Thomas, I feel like something special is going to happen tonight. I looked at him and said, I doubt it. (laughs) And I was wrong. Jesus got up from the table and he walked over and got a basin of water and a towel. And I remember thinking to myself, What is Jesus doing with the foot water? Daddy's going to wash him about his feet. I was wrong. Jesus knelt down and began to wash Bartholomew's feet. Bart just sat there. He didn't say anything. He couldn't move, and none of us could. Jesus finished, and he went to James, and then to Andrew, and the rest of us. I thought to myself, this seems so strange, yet so wonderful. I doubt anybody's going to say anything right now. I was wrong. Guess who broke the silence? Peter. No way you're washing our feet. You could wash everybody else's feet, but you're not washing mine. Jesus, you are the king. So Jesus looked at me and said, Well, if you're not going to let me wash your feet, then you can't have any part of me. Ouch. Then I said, Jesus, well, if you're going to wash my feet, wash my arms, wash my whole body. Jesus looked at me and said, your feet will be fine. In the midst of washing our feet, Jesus taught us servanthood. Then Jesus took some bread and some wine. He blessed it and he served it to us. He said, this is a new covenant with his blood. He said, tonight... All of y'all will lose faith in me. I thought, lose faith in you? Never. But I just sat there. I didn't say anything. I couldn't just sit there. I had to say something. So I looked at Jesus and I said, Jesus, I love you. You can count on me. 
All these other guys may fall away, but Jesus, I won't. You can count on me. Jesus smiled at me and said, Peter, you'll deny me three times before tomorrow morning. Ouch. Then the next thing I know, we were wrapping up and heading to the garden to pray. Once we got to the garden, man, things just got crazy. Jesus asked Peter, James, and myself to go a little further with him in the garden and pray. So we did, or at least we tried. We just kept falling asleep, and Jesus kept waking us up. I remember one time he looked at us, and he said, The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And that's true. It's all just such a blur. And to think, this whole mess got started because of Judas. Did he really think what he was doing was right? There. There he is. The one over there praying by himself. That's the one you want. Now the others, they're going to try to come up and make a scene. But the one that I kiss on the cheek, that's the one you want. So 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver, right? That's what we agreed upon. Just remember... Let the other ones go. But the one that I kiss on the cheek, that's the one you want. A kiss? Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss of a friend? Then everything just got crazy. Peter draws a sword and he chops this dude's ear off. And Jesus just reaches down and picks his ear up and puts it back on his head. As if it were nothing. And then they came and, and they took him. I wish that I could say that that we we fought for him. But we didn't. Everyone just ran. I ran. I'm just ashamed. What have I done? Was I so stupid to think that I've killed him? I have killed him. I have crucified Jesus. Yeah, I crucified Jesus. That's what the crowd wanted. That's exactly what they got. But personally, I don't think that man did anything to deserve that. You see, when the governor hands down a sentence, that's when I get to work. I love that job. I felt like each time I hung a man on the cross... I was administering justice. But that man, he didn't deserve that. Makes no sense. I was sitting there in a jail cell for stealing, murder, you name it, I've done it. Uh, I knew the next time I stepped out of that cell that it would be it for me. So the guards, they... They grab me, they pull me out, they put me next to this guy who's been beaten to a pulp. Now, Governor Pilate says, which one of these men should we set free? I mean, it was obvious. They would say, let Jesus go. But uh, they, they started chanting Barabbas. I mean, that was my name. They were chanting it over and over again 
So the guards just throw me back into the crowd. I mean, one minute, um, set for death. And the next minute, I'm free. It makes no sense. So I, uh, I followed Jesus all the way up to uh, Golgotha. I was stationed at Golgotha that day. We had just raised our second criminal by the time they brought him to me. I'll never forget how he looked. He'd been beaten, spit on, whipped. He was unrecognizable as a man. And they ripped off what was left of his clothes and they threw him on the cross. That's when I got to work. Generally, when you crucify a man, the first hand is the hardest. They'll try to fight you, get away. So I'd always use two soldiers to help hold the man down. But this man, he didn't fight. I thought he was exhausted. As an executioner, I've been called every name in the book. Spit on, pleaded with. But I wasn't prepared for that. He looked at me. And he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He forgave me. Forgive them. That's what he said, forgive them. Who is he? Forgive. It should have been me. I should have been the one up there on that cross. But he took my place. I remember I looked up and he took this long, agonizing breath. And then he said, it is finished. Then he died. Surely, this man was the Son of God. Son of God. And he did take the place of Barabbas. And you know what else he did? He took my place. And he took yours. He took my place. He says these three words. It's finished. What does that mean? It's finished. You see, our God is a God of love. He's an amazing, compassionate creator. Loves his creation. But he's a God of justice too. And because we Each one of us, according to the scripture, have turned our own way and chosen our own direction in life. He then, being the God of justice, had to hold humanity into account. And so the way he did that was bring his own son 
to earth as a man, to suffer at the hands of his very creation. And there on the cross, on that cross, Jesus gave his life and was able to say, it is finished. All that God required, all that God demanded, all that God said had to be done has been done. And this one act of sacrifice. And so let me ask you again, using these two words, would you say that your life, your life now, don't look down the road, don't look at your mate, don't look at your kids, don't look at your mom and dad. Would you say today that your life is one of selflessness or selfishness? Most of you know I'm a grandparent. It's hard to be around me and not know that I'm a grandparent. So I'm watching one of my grandson's cartoons, Lightning McQueen. Maybe you've heard of it. And here's Lightning McQueen, this young race car, talking to this older race car named Doc. And Doc says to Lightning McQueen, listen carefully to this. This is in a cartoon. He says to Lightning McQueen, when is the last time you thought of anybody but yourself? When is the last time you did something for anybody but yourself? Can we not make that rhetorical today? Can we absolutely take that simple question That's not just in a cartoon, but it's throughout the word of God. When is the last time you did something for somebody besides yourself? Because we're living in this me culture now. It's all about me, 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 I, I. It is nauseating how selfish we have become in our culture. And see, here's the thing. We can talk about it. I can get up and preach about it. But the truth of the matter is the only way, the only way it will ever change is if this person, Steve Bishop, and each of you do something about it. We can criticize. We can condemn. We can accuse. But that won't change anything. But guess what? The Holy Spirit of God living in us, if we have this, on that first day, like today as we celebrate Easter, the women arrive at the tomb, and they're startled to see the stone rolled away, the soldiers gone. They don't know what to do. They don't know how. This is out of the ordinary of what they were expecting and anticipating. Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. Who was he crucified for? That's right. Yep. The one time we can use me really well is right here. Okay? Crucified for me. He is not here, for he has risen just as he said. Come see the place where he was lying. He is not here. 
He is not in the tomb. He is not in the grave. Why? Because he has risen. And in doing so, he has demonstrated the very reality, the absolute reality that there is life after death for those who come to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So here we are on Easter Sunday. Let me ask you this question. Do you, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? I told you that as we close the service, we're going to have communion. And in doing so, what we're saying is, it's not just another religious activity or formality. It has become that in many arenas. But I'm telling you before God, that is not our intent today. To be able to say, Lord Christ, you died for me. You died for me. And because you have died for me, now I have life in you. And as I partake of this remembrance, I am saying to you as a holy God, I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ. Now, you can blow smoke to anybody anywhere you want to. You can put on a pretense. I did that for years. I'd been around church enough to know the lingo. Know how to stay out of trouble around the right people. Get into trouble with the wrong people. As long as I could disguise it and cover it up and pretend. I'd love to tell you I thought it was all right, but it wasn't. You know why I knew that? Because in the midst of all that, as I was going through that pretension and all that false life, the one thing that I knew without any question, that's why I asked the question earlier, What's the mortality rate of Chester County? The one thing that kept playing in my mind was I'm afraid to die. Because I knew that if I died in that season of my life, I would spend an eternity in hell. Even though, even though Jesus Christ had died for my sin even though he had offered to me on different occasions the opportunity to know him as Savior, Lord, and King, even though all that was true, I'd still chosen to live my life the way I wanted to live my life. I'd chosen to expend my energy the way I wanted to expend it. I'd chosen to use up my time in the things that were pleasurable to me and oh yes I had chosen to spend my money not investing in the kingdom of God but investing in the pleasures of the flesh even though the offer was still there he died for me he said it's finished he said I forgive them he forgave me and I cannot tell you I really cannot, I cannot put into words what took place on that Sunday morning 
for me years ago now, over 50 years ago. When I knew Christ for the first time, personally, as my Savior. It wasn't something that some preacher talked about. It wasn't something that my mom and dad had talked about or my aunts and uncles. It was Steve Bishop before God on his face. Realizing all that he had done for me and the difference that it made. And how grateful, how grateful, how grateful and thankful I was that he gave me enough breath to get to this place in my life where I could come to know him before I had to face eternity. We're all going to face eternity, folks. Every person in your family, every person you know, friend, coworker, neighbor, whatever, everyone, everyone will face eternity. The question today for us on this Easter Sunday is, how will you do when you face eternity? And how will those that you know, how will those that you know face eternity? You say, well, I don't want to embarrass anybody. I don't want to inconvenience anybody. I guess what we're really saying is I'd just rather them burn in hell for eternity. That's not what we're saying. I know that. No one would even think that. I know that. But by excusing ourselves from the reality of the presence of God and his work of grace in our lives as we encounter other people, even by neglect, we're doing that. We should be asking people. Way back, my grandmother was dying. And it occurred to me, I have no clue if she knows Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. No clue. It wasn't that I hadn't been around her. And it wasn't that we saw them a lot because we lived in another state, but I made the journey. I went into the hospital room where grandmother was, and she was really getting very, very low. And I'm going to be honest, I hom hauled around. It's my grandmother, you know. And finally, I was hom hawing around enough. She says, Are you wanting to ask me something? I said, yes, ma'am. And it wasn't that she, she knew she was dying. I said, I want to ask, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And she smiled. <laughs> I said, oh, yes, I do. And told me how and when she'd come to know Christ. Isn't it sad to hear I was a grown man, actually in the ministry at the time. And I never even bothered to ask my own grandmother about her relationship with Jesus Christ. So I'm challenging all of us today. Who is there in our lives that we've never been concerned enough, we've never loved enough to ask them, not in condemnation or being judgmental, but ask them in compassion and love, 
do you know the same Jesus that I know? But, oh, wait a minute. Oh, that's where we always hit the rub, at least in, in what I've seen in ministry. Because, you see, if our life doesn't reflect our Christ, that's when we get challenged, don't we? Particularly for those that may need some work of the Holy Spirit to get to the right place to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because what they're going to do is they're going to challenge us and say, wait a minute, how dare you ask me if I know Jesus? When I know how you live, I know how you walk, I know how you talk. Years ago, God gave me this illustration. I remember sitting in my study, and he began to point out objects to me, and one of them was my keys, and the other was my billfold, and the other was my wedding band. And he just said, just hold that in your hand right there, and I did. He said, really, in in essence, that's the summation of your life, isn't it? Your, Your family, your wife, your family your money, your possessions. And he asked me this question, who really owns those, Steve? Who really owns those? You see, you can put on a good show. Oh, man, I used to go home to Ohio, and I was dating Sheila at the time. And I could put on a good church show. I mean, it was only for a weekend. Then I go back to the Navy and do whatever it was that I wanted to do in the Navy until that Sunday morning when Jesus Christ showed up and changed all that. I'm lovingly saying to all of us, we have played this way too long. We've let the values of our life become ours and our selfishness and self-centeredness has become obvious, if not to others, certainly to God. That being said, Jesus, backing up a little bit, as you saw in the video, was doing all this to bring us to this place where we would be able to say, as the Apostle Paul would say, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That should be one of our life verses. We get up in the morning, Lord, I'm crucified to self, but I'm living in you because you gave life to me. As we go to work, as we do family, all the things that we're involved in. Lord, I'm crucified to me. And no longer do I live, but it's you, Lord Christ, who lives in me. And the life that I now live in this body, which is only good for a short period of time, I live by your faith. (laughs) Because you love me and you gave yourself. There they are in the upper room. Jesus is preparing 
those followers for his departure. He took the bread. We're going to get to it in just a minute. Just hang on to it. And he blessed it. He broke it. Gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body. He wasn't saying that it literally becomes my body as believed in some religious circles. He was saying, this symbolizes the fact that I'm willing to give my body. Now, they're still not there yet. He hasn't been crucified yet. He hasn't been beaten to a pulp beyond the recognition of what a man should look like. But prophetically, he says to them, this is what this stands for. And then he says, as he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to them, he says, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which was poured out for many. For what? To forgive our sin. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. You get that? You get that? So, with those thoughts in mind, I'm going to ask you to carefully peel back the top layer of your little cup. It's hard to separate sometimes, just so you know. In fact, it can be absolutely difficult, just so you know. As I told you, it's not a ceremony, so don't rest on ceremony. If you have to take your teeth and rip it open, do so. If you're like me and you carry a pocket knife. Isn't it funny? Well, I'm sorry. You guys don't understand my funny. Isn't it odd that for us to be able to partake of communion, that there would be difficulty to it. So he took it. And he broke it. Broke it. This is my body broken for you. And then they took it. Father God, If any of us who are here today are misunderstanding the significance and the importance of what we are doing, break our hearts. Bring us to repentance. Because, Lord Jesus, you gave your life, and that's why we have life. And then he took the cup. He said, this represents my blood. In other words, God would only be satisfied with a blood sacrifice Again, that's God's economy. He had it all planned out, worked out. And everything prior to this was a foreshadowing of this coming moment in time. And he said in this, this represents my blood. 
and they took it. Holy Father, would you all stand, please? Praise team's coming up. Holy Father, thank you. We are honored that you allow us any part in any of this, and yet you've chosen us for this. So thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So I'm going to ask church as we sing this last song, realizing that sin has been paid for. I was listening to a message this morning, and the speaker said, your failures are not forever. And your guilt and your shame has been covered by the blood of the cross. And so we all have a future if our future is in him.